Welcome to 50 Date Night Screams. I'm Amber Tresca. And I'm Mike Tresca. We're a married couple who decide to celebrate our 50th birthdays by watching some old movies. A lot of old movies. Join us as we watch 50 movies on our date nights and have fun dissecting them. As a bonus, each episode is accompanied by an original character I created and designed for use in your tabletop role-playing games. Many of the movies we watch are unrated, but this podcast is not. 50 Date Night Screams contains mature themes and is intended for adult audiences, so take care when listening. Plus, there are spoilers. Check the show notes to see where you can watch this movie before you listen. We're glad you're here. Have a seat, grab a glass of your favorite beverage, and get ready to scream along with us. Good morning, Chief. Benelli, there's too many brawls in your district lately. Almost every night there's a knife in. You know, I got a tough district to handle, Chief. How'd you like to go back wearing a patrolman's uniform? Well, I don't like that, Chief. Then listen, Benelli. From now on, I want you to arrest every man down there that looks like he might know what a knife is. Now, that's all. Get out. Hey, Mike. Hey, Amber. Welcome to another episode of 50 Date Night Screams. This is going to be a weird one. Uh, you know, I'm kind of wondering now how many times I'm going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but this is truly the first time that I'm like, this is definitely a weird one. And I I don't know how, I don't know. I'm going to need someone to describe some things for me. I'm supposed to be describing it to other people. I think I'm going to need somebody to describe it for me. So the title of our movie today is Midnight Phantom. And it is from 1935. It has a 4.6 out of 10 Aww. on IMDb. So uh, a little higher than some of our other uh, offerings here. It is unrated. It is 59 minutes. And the hilarious tagline, an unseen hand spreading terror. I, I don't know how that... Um, that is the most generic, like a terrifying foot pushing <laughs> horror. Like you could just sort of come up with a body part and it's super generic, but it's all right. It's all right. I kind of get where they were going with that, but as a writer, I'm a little offended and I feel as though someone could have done better by this movie. Let's read a summary. I did not edit this summary. It is a summary from the jacket of the DVD. So, and it's spectacular. All right, here's a summary of Midnight Phantom. The new police chief vows to clean up the corrupt police department and bring in a new era of respectability to the force. Oh, I like the force. It is the police force, though, not like the force, like Star Wars, for unfortunately. Okay. After the new chief is found murdered and the attending physician is killed in the same manner, a criminologist identifies a detective dating the chief's daughter as the killer. The detective and his girlfriend set out to prove his innocence and find the identity of the true killer before he's sent away for a crime he didn't commit. That's one of those sentences that before he's sent away, like, who? The detective, not the killer. Like, that's a rewrite. Anyway, so that summary, how many minutes of the movie do you think are encompassed in that summary of the movie? Well, let's see. I mean, there's a, it sort of all happens pretty quickly in the room. So there's a little bit of like, 
quite a bit of plot exposition that I don't think is clear to us right away because of the way it, it unspools. So, like, so much happens that's not yeah. anywhere in that summary. Yeah, this is a summary of the last ten minutes of the movie. Yeah, like literally. All right, so let's get started talking about the the first scene and how that began. I don't know if it was stock footage or something that they recorded themselves. Usually I think we can tell just because the stock footage tends to be, it tends to look a little different. So the lighting is different. It tends to be of different quality. And so all this, even in the black and white. So all of a sudden you'll go, oh, wait a minute, that's really different. So I think that that's stock footage. So I don't know what this was at the beginning, but it was basically trying to illustrate that there was, that there's crime, there's police cars and sirens and things moving fast and it was the city and it's gritty and so it was really kind of funny i thought anyway yeah and it's interesting because one of the key points of this is that he's got to clean it up i mean it says it in the summary so the police chief is clearly coming in to fix something and none of that is conveyed for other than there's a lot of crime we get there's a lot of crime and i guess the police are under duress to address it the implication is they're not doing it right or there's corruption, which certainly the priest, police chief sort of implies a few different ways. So it's just funny because it, it does not visually portray any of that. And it takes a little bit before you're like, why is this dude just ripping everybody's assholes? Yeah, so, the, so the, right. The first scene looks like sort of stock footage. And then it goes into a bunch of dudes sitting around in a room and you can hear – through the door of another room, and it's like it's it's like you know the Wawa of um, <laughs> Charlie Brown or whatever. Like also, you hear like rah, 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 rah. so clearly, like somebody is like dressing down somebody else. So what's happening is the police chief is pulling in all of the people on the force one by one in his office and telling them about themselves, which is just like, all right, so you do pick up that pretty quickly. But basically, he's finding fault with what everybody's doing, and he's uh, giving them different assignments, and he's telling them that they have to clean up their stuff. There's a couple of people that there might be some corruption going on, and he's like, you need to knock that stuff off. So, all right, so he, he's got a mess. I mean, it kind of just seems like a normal, like a, like a normal day in a big city. I, like, I don't know. But that's that's the setting. Everybody except Dan, the golden boy. Everybody except Dan. Yeah, yeah. So I looked up the actor that plays the police chief. Mm-hmm. I think he's trying to do like an Irish accent. You think he's supposed to be like, do you think that that's right? He's like the Irish cop. Uh, oh, absolutely. He did a horrible job. Okay. <laughs> he was drunk. Guess where, guess where he's from. Uh, well, I, I thought he was having a stroke at first because he was starting to like, I mean, you know, Later on, that is part of the question is what he died from. But he every once in a while, he'd slip in and out of it. So it sounded Midwestern. Oh, did she? It sounded Midwestern? Yeah. yeah. yeah he, so he sounded like a Midwestern person doing Trying an Irish do- accent? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Um, homeboy was from Arkansas. So <laughs> look, I can't do accents either. So this is fine, but I'm a little bit like <laughs> you couldn't have found like an Irish actor or just got rid of that. Like that was not important to the movie in any kind of way. What's really funny 
is how much acting like this this guy had to act his heart out too he, he was did. in every scene till he dies he was in every scene <laughs> acting his ass off trying to you know and he was also like different emotions like he had to be mean to one guy and then kind of give the sly yeah, like it, okay it was a i know lot. you were interested in my daughter look to the other guy he had to be nice to his daughter i mean he did a and then he had he had a secretary that we that was there was a subtle undercurrent of emotions wow and let's try the old pump. <laughs> Hitting on 16 cylinders. <laughs> All right. I will try the blood pressure. There you are. Normal. And, okay, so he's dressing down all of these people. And then all of a sudden, like, a doctor comes in. <laughs> I guess he's a doctor. He's... No, he was the insurance I, maybe he was, set by the he was a doctor, but he was with the insurance company. On the insurance company, yeah, yeah. And he's saying stuff like, you know, let me look at those peepers and let me look at those trumpers. And it was just, it was wild. Uh, open the cave. And open the cave. <laughs> <laughs> so this goes on for a couple of minutes, this uh, exam. But it looks like no exam that I have ever seen in my <laughs> life, physical. There, He's just doing it at his desk in his office of the police chief. This doctor's conducting this exam. And, of course, when you're watching it, you're like, all right, everything's for a reason, what, right? Like, so why is he conducting this examination? Obviously, something is going to happen to him later, and his health is going to be called into question. You know, but it was just it's hilarious. It was not thorough. It was kind of like just really a, a bizarre thing. And this is possibly the fastest shortest movie we've watched so they are on a timeline right, right. you got 59 right. it's not even an hour right. you got 59 but minutes but they wait like that was a waste <laughs> of time they wasted time like you could have imparted all of these things a lot quicker than they did so they they really wasted time here that should have been used later which you know as we go it, through it's very much a case of uh crime scene science you know where it's like let's just take the easy things Oh, he's not going to have a heart attack. I'm going to talk about his heart, and I'm going to talk about him not having a stroke. And that's probably it, and that's enough to convince the audience that whatever he dies from later isn't those things. Right, right, right. Yeah, his heart looks good and whatever. Although he's like, look, what did I say? What year this is? 1935? I mean, he's an older dude. He kind of looks like that uh, middle-aged person who might have heart problems or whatever so like that wouldn't be uh, you know a surprise and of course i don't know how long people lived then i'm assuming that they lived l less than we do now but anyway um all right so moving along and then apparently there's something going on like he has a secretary of course it's a woman her name is kathleen and they're accused of having an affair it, like he's at least 20 30 years her senior so that's kind of hilarious and the two of them are talking and her mother doesn't like this her mother's like what's going on between you and the police chief like that's not cool and kathleen's like i don't understand she's horrible that's why i work all the time and the police chief is consoling her and to me it looks like a very parent child relationship it does not look like a sexual relationship to me at all yeah i don't I don't know about that. I felt like uh, it was clearly a one-sided emotional investment from her side. He sort of explains it to maybe Dan. I don't remember who. And is like, by the way, you have to take him at his word. He's telling the truth. It's like nothing's going on. But certainly, again, given the time, it's a situation where it's implied that, for better or worse, that even that level of interest is scandalous. And therefore, the appropriate thing to do is to marry 
the girl. And of course, every person in this, every woman in this movie is an archetype, right? It's a yeah. stereotype, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So the mom is like this brutal, apparent, which is a new stereotype that I haven't seen in these kind of movies, but she's sort of this rough, <laughs> scary. Well, she's a policewoman. Right. And so the police chief is consoling his secretary and he's holding on to her and she's kind of like, my life is a mess. And he thinks that she's in love with him. We never find out anything from her as to how she feels about anything, except that, she, you know, she has problem with her mother. The The mother's a, a, a policewoman and she comes in and just starts screaming at them and she's upset and you should marry her just like whoa okay because he has a daughter her age the age of the secretary so it's like this doesn't make any kind of sense it's not like she was an older woman too it's just i don't know in any case it was, it was really weird so the police chief has a daughter as well another archetype she is in a not really a triangle like there is a professor. It's funny how they call people professor. I guess you're supposed to assume college professor. So he's a college professor. He's a criminologist. And there's something between them. But she's also involved with a detective. And she has clearly decided to go with the detective rather than the professor. So that's decided. And the detective asks for her hand, asks the police chief, her father, for her hand. The police chief says yes. And... It's all good. We're all good. We're all good here. But then that goes wrong because there's a police chase. There's a shootout. A young man involved in the police chase dies. And apparently that is the stepbrother of the detective. So they were involved in some kind of a heist. The man ends up dead. Turns out the brother of the detective who's engaged to the police chief's daughter. It's just like unnecessarily confusing to me. <laughs> And now the police chief says, well, you have a family member who was involved in crime, and so now you can't marry my daughter and you need to let her go. And that's basically, you know, what is what is decided. Nobody asks the daughter what she thinks, of course, but that's what's decided by the police chief. And he's like, we can't we can't have this this scandal. So it's really very weird. Can we talk about Professor Graham for a moment? I feel like we need to acknowledge. Oh yeah, his, Professor Graham. Yeah. He's like a smooth talking, silk robe wearing, drinks brandy at night <laughs> and you know is in his just best attire and when he finds out that he's not going to marry the police chief's daughter, he's like, "No biggie, man. Makes perfect sense. It's all good." And uh he's super smooth. And a weird sort of academic, sort of high society snob, very out of place with everybody else in this whole dialogue. And then we find out that he's basically like, there was a show, there's a few shows about these, these profilers. He's like an FBI profiler who can, at a glance, just tell you what's going on. He's, like a parlor he's the trick. Like right. that's what it, like, yeah. And also I was thinking about that. Because think about like True Detective, like wasn't that dude sort of the the pioneer of or one of the pioneers of sort of profiling and all of that? But this was 1935 and True Detective was like in the 70s or the 60s. So yeah. like that was in the back of my mind, too. Yeah, and, and it definitely turns what is theoretically uh, science and profiling as a thing into like a superpower. Essentially, where it's like, yeah, I can I can tell you by what 
by looking at somebody, which is really gross anyway, but that's a whole nother thing. I know. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious. Okay. So for some reason, they decide at midnight that they're going to have the criminologist come along and he's going to teach everybody how to profile people. And they're going to like, I don't know where they get these people. I don't know. They, they pull these people out of like the jail, I guess, and start parading them in front of everybody. All, all of these police officers and detectives are like sitting in chairs and like observing this. I mean, it is pretty interesting because I, I think it's supposed to be played that the chief is trying to show these officers how to be better at their jobs. It's implied. But in the chaff of him sort of praising Dan, his future son-in-law, who now he isn't, praising his daughter, being very friendly with Professor Graham, is him telling all these other cops off. Um, yeah. There's a couple that he thinks are on the take. There's a couple he thinks are corrupt in different ways. He's worried about their gambling. He he's suspicious of one guy and his where he got his check from. So he's set up. The idea is we're trying to set up a situation where he is essentially a target for everybody because they all hate him. And just to be more of a dick at midnight, he's dragging all these officers who, by the way, come dressed in their full uniform in the middle of the night because that's convenient for Professor, Professor Graham. So that's the other thing is he's not just having this sort of setup, which is annoying by itself. He's just chewed everybody out. And now to show them what good police work looks like, he's going to have Professor Graham, who near as I can tell, never explains how he does anything. So what you're supposed to learn from him doing it is beyond me to essentially parade these criminals across in a, uh, a glass case that, by the way, they can hear him. We, I wasn't sure, but they can hear him. And he's going to make snap judgments about them and then see if he gets it right. And I, it seems like it's just meant to humiliate all the police. Yeah, it, it's humiliating to the police. It's humiliating to the people that they're bringing out because he's looking at them and he's like, well, that person's a drug addict. He'll do anything, you know, <laughs> and then they you know, pull out a couple of women. When the two women walked out, also, they bring the women out together, you know, and then they start going the smaller girl and the larger girl. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, this is how we're describing people. And then that. But I look, I was kind of grateful, though, that they were not like prostitutes. Like, I was grateful. I suppose they probably wouldn't have that in a film of that time. But when they had two women come out and then he says something like benign, like the one she's a, he, he uses like some 30s slang. She's like a, she's like a, a like the a, girlfriend a of the, a like gun a mall or, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the other one is like, oh, she'll, you know, do whatever she's told or something like that. So petty, she'll do whatever petty crime. And I'm just like, oh, thank goodness he wasn't like, they're whores. You know what right. I mean? Like that was... <laughs> Like, I was just kind of glad for that because, like, I really felt like that's where it was going, you know. But it was just wild. Like, I don't know. You could have done a couple of them. Like, he gets it right, apparently. Because then you also have this older policeman who reads off the people's crimes after Professor Graham gives an assessment of what he thinks they, they are. If you killed him, I hope they punish you. You were always threatening him. Sit down, Kathleen. Your mother didn't do this. Women are not expert enough to do a job of that kind. <laughs> they kill rather crudely. So then an exciting incident happens. 
And by the way, this is the last, now we're at like the last 10 minutes of the movie. Like literally the last 10 minutes of the movie. Okay. And so what, what happened then? Some, now I'm trying to remember who is, who is it falls dead. No. So obviously, yeah, the police chief falls dead. So he's not, he doesn't really fall dead. He sort of looks like he nodded off. That's what happened. Yeah, he's sitting in his chair. Right. His daughter goes over to him and she's like, oh, daddy, whatever. And I'm not super clear why his daughter is there, by the way, just for the record. But she's there anyway, in addition to all this. Yeah. So she's the first one to notice and sort of goes, oh, he nodded off. And it turns out that he is, in fact, dead. So You know what's interesting to me? In this movie and in some of the other movies, I don't know about you, but like they had a close relationship. If I went over to somebody that I have a close relationship with, and suddenly discovered that they were dead in their chair, I don't think I'd be like, huh, <laughs> they're dead. You know? <laughs> like, there was, like, almost no reaction, you know? It was really Well, we weird. have 59 minutes, so you get, like, 30 seconds, and then you got to move on. So, <laughs> there's not a lot of time for grieving in this. And by the way, at this point, we're in, like, the final 15, right? So there's not a whole lot of uh, opportunity to figure this out. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And then they're like, oh, no, he's dead. Look, and this is where I'm serious. I need somebody to explain this to me like I'm five. Because I truly do not understand this killing situation. So then there's a doctor. The doctor's like, oh, he's dead. And then the doctor starts trying to explain how he could have died. Like they originally thought it was one thing. But then there's because like there's a dart in his back. But then they're like, no, there's also something in like on his lapel. And then, boom, the doctor falls down dead. And it's like, what? Right. So the, the killer, and it took me a while to figure this out. I had to go over it a few times, too. The, the killer, theoretically, whoever the killer is, has two means of assassination. One of them is the real one. The other one is meant to implicate whoever's behind the chief. So the dart in his neck is actually meant to implicate someone behind him aka dan the golden boy that's the idea that's that's the view that it's going to marry chief of police's daughter the poison thorn thing was going to be explained but of course the the chief medical examiner who you know one of the few things that makes sense in this movie is actually there he should be there because he's part of the (laughs) entire force that's being dressed down he doesn't get the chance to explain it so now we have a situation where the plan by the villain is essentially to get someone framed for shooting this dart into the back of the chief's neck. And that matters because the direction of how he is poisoned is meant to throw you off. So everybody automatically assumes it has to be somebody behind him. So no one in front could be the perpetrator. And that's, of course, important to the plot. So that causes them to then start looking for, which, by the way, I've now discovered is a very common murder plot a cigarette holder or cigar holder that can be used as a blow dart to shoot someone in the back of the neck. So it's also interesting because I think audiences who are fans of this genre would have expected that's how he was killed. Okay, so it it would have been understood. I'm not picking up what they're laying down because this is, this is a new one on me. This is not right. like I've seen movies my whole life where this is a thing. We will see another one along the same lines. But it's, it's fascinating because apparently this is a thing. And it's poison dart. And it's always poison from the Amazon. They don't always name it. (laughs) It's odorless. It's like instant. It just kills you. Magically, it just kills you. Um, But yeah, so it it is a thing where people probably would have been like, oh, clearly that's, it's been done in many other whodunits. And it was some kind of poison blow dart. And that's what 
the villain wants you to think. So that's where supposedly the, the investigation ends. The problem, of course, is there's a medical examiner there. So he has two loose ends. So he has to kill him too. And of course, what happens, I think they begin t- going through everybody's pockets, right? Nobody can leave. They lock the room down. Yeah, and then they the, have to go the, the, presumably the second in command, and I don't know what his title would be, but he starts yelling at everybody. It's hilarious. He starts yelling at everybody, I'll take charge here. I think he says that like five times. <laughs> I'll take charge here. And then they start going around the room, and it's you, and it's you because you didn't like him because of this, and you didn't like him because of that. And Kathleen starts going after her mother. If it was you, like, you know, you're going to be punished or whatever. <laughs> and then, of course, you have a criminologist that's standing right there, right? So then he has to weigh in on it, and he go, he says the most ridiculous line in the movie. He's like, no, a woman didn't do this. Women kill crudely. Like, what the fuck? What? What? <laughs> so this is like, ooh, this this killing with this with this dart, like, this is some... This is some really finesse killing shit and no woman could think of that. I'm like, what is what and then what does that mean crudely? Because first of all, women usually I don't say say usually, women do kill by poison. Like at least in whodunits or whatever, like women kill by poison because strangling or shooting, like that's just not so you know what? I would have thought it was a woman to to be fair. Although at this point I'm still really confused about what's going on and I kinda don't care. But <laughs> well, the part of the, this is once we reveal the villain, we haven't yet. But one of the things about the villain is he is very arrogantly asserting himself and laughing, giggling to himself all the way that he's committed the perfect crime. So one of the things that is sort of, I think, kind of brilliant in the way this is written is we already saw his behavior to those two, the big girl and the little girl. Um, and so, yeah, he's got actually all his cards on the table. He's a little bit saying it can't be a woman. I'm not a woman. He's basically saying there's no one, no one as cool as me could do this. It can't possibly be her. Right, right. It can't be a woman. Women are too dumb. So that was hilarious. Then the police chief's daughter and the detective are, they're going to try to. Detective Dan. Detective Dan (laughs) are going to try to figure it out. So Dan says to her, meanwhile, she just found her dad dead. So I don't know how she has the presence of mind. I would just be like, y'all can do whatever. Um, he says to her, when I give you the, the high sign or whatever, like, shut off the lights. And she's like, what? And he's like, yeah, I'm telling you, it's it's going to work out, whatever. So she does it. The lights go off for a second. And then Dan is on the ground. And again, I don't know what's going on right now. So, but Dan is not, is actually not hurt. Okay. He's, he's faking it. <laughs> well, and before Dan dies, fake dies. Dan declares that he knows who the killer is, right? So the other thing is Dan is essentially trying to draw the killer out to try and kill him because he's declaring, just like the medical examiner did, that he knows the real way the police chief was killed. So he, they're I tra- mean, he this does. Is, right. He, he does. Yeah. It's a, it's a phrase that we've seen in some role-playing games called belling the cat, right? So the idea is you know you're being followed. You know there's somebody coming after you. You basically show your belly, kind of give them the opportunity, and then hope that draws them out because that's how you can prove that they're actually following you or they're actually trying to kill you. So that's what he tries to do. How it goes in the darkness, which is a weird, weird way to show it in a film, uh, is just all narrative. Like basically lights go out, lights come back on, and then we think Dan's dead. He's not dead he's detective dan is faking 
And then there's a little bit of an exposition at the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, so here was the thing is that Dan's on the ground. Dan was assuming that when the lights went out that the killer would take that opportunity to kill him too. Okay. Which, by the way, we're talking about poison darts here. Motherfucker has a lot of poison darts. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't know how many people he, you know, was planning on killing this night, but now he's on three. Well, second dart, one, the police chief's not killed by the dart. That was part of the, the play, right? So it's the second dart. The police chief was actually killed by a, a poisoned, I don't know, pin on his lapel. I see. I'm like, I don't, I don't understand. He ki- he's killing everybody with poison, okay? <laughs> and then, so what happened? So then, then like, Dan pops up like, ha-ha. And he's like, I'm not dead. Matter of fact, I took the top of the glass table and put it between you and me so you couldn't hit me with the dart. <laughs> like, what? So this all took place, like, in the dark. We see none of it. And then the older policeman is like, oh, it was Professor Graham all along. With, I think, his cigarette. Was this another cigarette case situation? Yeah. I feel like yeah. it Yeah, it was. It, okay, and, and, then, and then the police chief's daughter goes, see, still... Gotta give it to this bitch. She's really with it. Her dad just died. And she's like, so there was a hollow part inside the cigar. And when you smoke it, it goes away. And that, like, what? I don't even understand. Like, I really don't get it. But like you said, Mike, maybe it's something like uh, something that a moviegoer of that time would have put it together much quicker than we would. You know, maybe it would be the same as, like, if you showed somebody from 1935 a movie that used technology, you know, like the technology we're using right now. You know, they wouldn't have any idea what was going on. Like, like all the movies that we've seen that use – the horror movies we've seen that use technology where the killer is killing people and using um, social media and stuff like that. Like, that wouldn't make or any sense to that. voice-changing software or something like right, that. Like right, right, right. Yeah. But, like, we can follow all that because we generally know how that works. Like, maybe it's the same type of thing. Well, and a lot of it's based on where everybody's sitting, right? So it's a small room. This feels like it could have been a theatrical play, which it a does. lot of these films it did. are. It did, yeah. Where the police chief is, the idea was it to pin Dan. That was the point. So the point was, right. it's Professor Graham. Professor Graham in the, in the examination room with the dart um but he essentially was trying to make it look like dan did it which is really weird but he did play so he, he the other thing that graham did is he gave detective dan a i don't know a cigar or something and put it in his uh in his front pocket and that's how dan sort of goes oh wait a minute i have this blowgun thing why did he give me a weird cigar and of course the idea was to kill dan maybe i don't know what the I don't the think it was going to kill was. Dan, but it was whoever he killed. Yeah, to, and then to, when they searched Dan, they would have found that right, on him. And then he would have exactly. had no, he, he would have had no recourse. And then when he realized Dan was going to reveal him, supposedly, he had to essentially eliminate him again. But the, the real murder weapon is this weird lapel pin, possibly a flower. I don't remember, but it's some kind of spike thing that had poison on it also. Yeah, something in the... And, and the point was that Graham was depending on him not being... Uh, accused because he was in the front. So the right. idea was, I'm in the front. I couldn't possibly have hit him from the back with this this blow dart because I'm in the front. And that's his big, brilliant plan, which is really a flimsy supposition anyway. And and by the way, ultimately this was over the love of a woman, right? That That's the other piece of this. He was pissed that Dan was marrying the police chief's daughter yeah. and he wasn't. Yeah. 
you know, and, and here's the other thing. If Professor Graham hadn't killed one other person and then tried to kill another person, truly, he might have gotten away with it. Like, like, honestly, because they would have searched everybody. Maybe they would have found the thing on Dan. Maybe they would have pinned it on him. Maybe they wouldn't have. Maybe nobody would have believed that Dan would have done that because here's the other thing. You have plenty of opportunity to kill this man at some random location without a lot of people around. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Like, it it wouldn't have made, like, none of it would have made any sense. But if he hadn't gone after everybody else in the room and just started, like, shooting these darts everywhere, like, I really, like, Nobody would have thought it would have been him, right? And here's the other thing, is that even if Dan hadn't have been convicted, okay, say they were like, we really can't figure out what's going on, we're going to keep the case open, we're going to keep investigating it, whatever, we're going to keep questioning people, yada, 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 you know, that would have tied Dan up for a while that maybe the woman wouldn't have married him anyway. I don't know. It just wasn't like he didn't seem too smart in the end. Well, and it, it certainly felt like they were trying to essentially make it that Professor Graham wanted to show his superior intellect. Like he yeah. was thumbing his nose at all these other assholes because he was going to show how smart he was. And he was definitely using his position. There's a lot of this in these kind of whodunits also where the guy who seems like the most creative the best brilliant mind is actually the one you should be suspicious of because he's also the one who could perpetrate the perfect crime. And of course right. he doesn't. Right. But it's really interesting because right. it, it felt a little bit like brain over brawn situation where Professor Graham was like, I'm going to show you all. She shouldn't be marrying this, this dummy. She should be marrying brilliant cognac swilling <laughs> me in my, in my silk robe. And uh, I think that was his plan, but it, it didn't work. It didn't work. Ugh. You know, so far, this is episode five, so far in every movie, I've been like, okay, you can say a lot of things about these movies, and maybe some people would watch them and not find much redeeming value in them. Each one of them I found a lot to discuss, a lot to think about. They're a window into a time and a place that I normally probably wouldn't have peeked into because I'm more interested in seeing, you know, usually what's the latest thing that's coming out on a streaming service or in the theater. This one, like, I'm not finding it. So let's let's move on to our ratings. Wait, before um, we move on, don't they have a picnic at the end, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the yeah, ending. So, the so ending. Let's just be clear. So he gets arrested. So Professor Graham has gone away to prison, and there is a little bit of a newspaper read. I don't know if you remember what they sort of say. Oh well. Uh, presumably because of who he murdered and well and also he did murder two people but they sentenced professor graham to death and so detective dan and the police chief's daughter are presumably now married and they're having a little picnic somewhere and they're like oh look professor graham they put him to death La la la. <laughs> he doesn't, but it's, they didn't put him to death. It sounds like he he potentially committed suicide or something along those lines because they say, oh, looks like, you know, it happened oh, I didn't before. Get that. Yeah, there's a little bit of a phrasing that basically implies he wouldn't even accept that. Um, he wouldn't let anyone else sort of take his life. He'd do it. So it was just, it was just a tragic oh. end to a tragic villain. And, and of course, they're 
they're you know canoodling in the in the picnic and they have to be careful that anybody sees them <laughs> oh i know right they're like kissing or whatever and then they're like oops yeah you know? it's so weird okay so weird. now we can move i just all wanted right, to right, close right. the, the right. close the door on that oh yeah, yeah yeah okay if i don't locate the killer within the next 10 minutes i'm going to arrest everyone in this room and give them a grilling and make a third degree look like a petting party don't get excited, Captain. This thing must be solved scientifically. Science can go take a jump at itself. I'll take charge here. So, the big question. Is it a horror movie or something else? No. Nope. So it's a something else. Yeah. It's a, it's a whodunit. It's a crime procedural that I still can't understand. Yeah, um, I mean, there's a phrase called fair play whodunit where you're supposed to play by certain rules. Yeah. I think one of the rules is not to use poison blow darts, but that aside, yeah. um, you cannot, you can sort of guess by the sheer unctuousness of our, our Professor Graham. But other than that, there's really not a, um, a, a obvious means. Like, we don't know anything about Graham's proficiency with poison. There's no reason for us to suspect him. Where so this is got it. Like, right. not, like none this of This is not a fair play whodunit. It's an unfair play. So it is a whodunit, though. Um, which And probably it's best that it ended under an hour. <laughs> Look. This could have been a half an hour, if you ask me. They could have, like, this could have been a sitcom. Thank you very much. We're moving on to our ratings. So, how many knives are we going to give this movie? So, what was the body count? How scary was it? Was it gory? Or did it live up to its title? What do you think, Mike? So, on the one hand, there's a lot of talk about killing. um, And there were two deaths and one fake death. So... Um, I think they there was certainly – not for a lack of effort. <laughs> there was definitely an attempt to kill a lot of people. Um, but I wouldn't give it too many knives because it's just not that kind of film, right? In fact, if it was, it's not a murder mystery. It's just a massacre and they shouldn't let anybody out of the room anyway. So I feel like the body count is constrained by the nature of the plot. So I, I'd say it's probably one and a half knives. Body count, there was two – but no, there was three bodies – Okay, counting the brother. Um, oh, that's true. I forgot about him completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was no... He dies dramatically, He dies the way. dramatically. <laughs> it's, it's actually kind of sad, really, mm. truly. It was not gory. It did not live up to its title. The poster doesn't really give a lot away at all. It's just, like, a couple of handsome dudes and, you know, good-looking woman. Like, the background of the poster is, like, a almost like a person wearing like a like a hooded thing and like beams shooting out of the eye and then like a skeletal hand it's just very artistic i dig it but um doesn't have anything to do with anything um so that wasn't good but uh how scary was it well was scary in the fact that it didn't make no fucking sense and it is annoying the hell out of me i'm gonna i'm gonna give this one knife wow yeah, I'm kind of, I, like the more we talk about it, like the matter I am about angry, this angry. movie. We have flipped roles because I is I am not as hard. Well, on this I just movie. like it's some of the other movies like they brought up interesting social issues, or I could see where they were going, or I could see what they were trying to do, 
And I, or I could appreciate the artistry or the acting. Look, making movies is hard. Writing things is hard. Like all of this is hard. So I would never want to shit on somebody for their creative endeavor. Like, but this was just like, I don't know what's going on. And you've explained it to me. I don't know. I'm going to have to like, so I'm going to have to find like a film critic or I'm going to have to find somebody that knows a lot about this to like explain it to me better because I still, I still don't get it. Let's give it glasses of wine from one to five glasses of wine. So this is how fun was it to watch? Did it have any unique moments? Did we get anything out of it? How much fun did we have while we were watching it? I enjoyed it. Um, I'm not going to say I enjoyed it a huge amount, um, but I enjoyed it for what it was. It moves along quickly. Uh, The plot's ridiculous. Graham is ridiculous. The police chief is ridiculous. And I found that very entertaining. So I'd give it two and a half. I actually, uh, I enjoyed it probably more. I, oh, let me guess it. I know I enjoyed it more than you did. I'm going to, I'm going to give it two. I'm going to give it two glasses of wine. And I will say that because I enjoyed it in a very, I wish a motherfucker would kind of way. Like that's was my, like when he was all like, well, women kill rather crudely, you know, it's like, it was so hilarious to me, but only in a very sarcastic, dark, Gen X kind of way did I enjoy some of the things that were, some, some of the phrases that were said in this movie. And then the, and then the, the secretary who couldn't be a day over 30, like apparently in love with this police chief who had to be close to 50. Okay, now I'm like causing a problem for myself because you and I are 50. And um, Careful. I know, right? I'm like, am I saying that I couldn't bag a 30-year-old right now? But like, here's the thing. Like, I just couldn't see it. You know, it just didn't make any sense that this woman would be in love with him. He couldn't offer her much of anything. So I don't know. All right, that's 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 that. I'm giving it to you. All right. So how many screams? How much did we... Enjoy the movie overall. This is our overall rating from one to five screams. What do you think? Um, I give it a solid two. The one and a half and two and a half puts me at a two. I feel like overall, uh, artistically, in the context of what they were trying to do, and because if you understand the whodunit tropes, I feel like it was it was trying to do something. I just don't think it did it very well. Uh, and they, frankly, there wasn't a lot of time to do it in. Um, and they spent most of that time on the early scene of everybody getting it didn't matter apart. stuff that yeah. stuff that could have been conveyed a lot quicker and look this is 1935 you know it's in early days of filmmaking people are figuring things out like i get all of that but still i'm gonna give it 1.5 screams that's an average of my one knife and my one, two glasses rubber, of wine rubber floppy knife and a I know that's like the, that's the trick knife that like the kids have that you go and like you go to stab somebody and then and the knife goes in like we actually have one of those knives like it's it's actually kind of fun um but this I didn't find this movie fun I found it annoying I was just mad at it it's kind of fun to be mad at things sometimes so I will give it that but I'm glad that we're you know making this episode and we're getting this over with because I like I need to be done with this movie and also maybe part of it is just because like usually i don't know like i think of myself as a as a person that can understand things i usually like movies that don't give a lot of exposition that you do have to sort of run along mentally to keep up that is something that i do enjoy very much 
But this one just re- it left me so far behind and didn't entertain me. So that's why I'm just like, I'm going to stick with my 1.5 screams. So let's move on to the character that you created, Mike, that goes along with this movie that people can use in their tabletop role-playing games. So tell me, who is this character? Uh, well, it's not a surprise. He's the Midnight Phantom. So <laughs> um, he's not you, Professor Graham. You get, five, you get five knives for originality. <laughs> Um, this will not be the first time and it will not be the last time that I use the poster as inspiration, um, because very often the poster is frankly way more entertaining. And, way and more promising. entertaining. I did like the idea. I think that with the, the eye gaze thing you mentioned where there's sort of this guy, a phantom, and his eyes are looking at things. I think that sort of implied Graham's ability to sort of see crime. That was one of the superpowers he sort of had. So, um, the Midnight Phantom is that he's, he's this debonair professor by day. Um, and he's this criminal who dresses in a cloak and and has this ability to basically divulge your darkest secret by looking at you. So he's he's meant to be uh, a little bit of a an infiltrator. He's not he's not necessarily a master. He can he fancies himself a mastermind, but he's not going to be a leader of a large group. He's that kind of doppelganger that you have to work watch out for that you trust, um, and then turns out to be the most dangerous of them all. So he he's the kind of character that sort of fits into your group, doesn't stand out in any kind of way, fits in, and then turns out he's working with the enemy or he's sowing dissension from within, something like that. Exactly right. Yeah, okay. he's he's the guy. He's a bad uh, wolf in sheep's clothing. Okay. A smart one, according right, right, right. to him. Yeah, I mean, like you know, way better than the real Professor Graham yes, in this movie. Yeah. But all right, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. So tell me about his stats. Where? How did you roll that up? So not surprisingly, he's got two things he's got to be good at. He's got to be good in charisma. He's got to be pretty suave because so, he's a liar and a cheat. And he's also got to be good with his little blowgun dart thing, among other pieces. So um, it's interesting to see sort of how that poison – it's funny because this will come up again, um, this sort of magical poison, which fits right in with role-playing games where – poison is this like instant effect so he's very good at that he's very good at um essentially being like an assassin um but he's also good at pretending that he's your 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 go-to professor on crime and and justice so he can do both he's he's high in charisma and he's high in and dexterity okay and so what kind of setting would you find this character in where might a dm plug this guy in you need a university or something along those lines where crime is something esteemed. Um, he doesn't have to be a criminologist like in a modern game, but having someone where he's sort of educated, I think, is a key part of his personality. So he fits right in in sort of wizard schools and other places. And you obviously want a, a city where he can deal with this kind of crime and, and frankly, blend in to help with um, you know pursuing it. So certainly are. Uh, adventures in larger cities where there are institutions of learning. But after that, he can pretty much fit in anywhere. Um, and his ability to sort of insert himself into these institutions helpful. It's, it's also helpful to have a legal institution, right? So some kind of Knights city watch or something that he can essentially insert himself and subvert to his own ends. Right. Right. And he, he also sounds like a lone wolf, like he's doing this on his own Yes. He has his own reasons for doing it, whatever those are, and mm-hmm. doesn't really care who he hurts along the way. That's right. Okay. So 
Tell me where people can find this character because you statted it up and it is for use in tabletop role-playing games if people go to... Patreon.com slash T-A-L-I-E-N. That's Italian. So Patreon.com slash Italian. We release that for free. Every time we do a villain on the show, we're going to release um, that in PDF format so uh, or JPEG format, depending on the platform. So it'll be available there. And then we're going to put them all together in a, uh, a supplement that's called 5e Foes gothic villains so we'll have him also in there as well but yeah he will be available for free on patreon.com slash italian all right perfect we will of course put all of that information in the show notes and hopefully you know how to access the show notes and look if you don't like i can't really help you like there's not a lot that i could do like go into your podcast app like tap around look at stuff find the show notes the link will be there It'll all be good. It all right. doesn't take a genius. Like well, I, look, Graham. I don't know. <laughs> look, I don't know. I can't figure out how the fuck this movie ended. So I am not in a position to tell anybody that they are smart, that they are not smart, any of that. I'm questioning my reality. This movie gaslit me. Look, that's what I'm going to say. This movie gaslit me, and I don't appreciate it. And I'm glad to see the back end of it. Let me put it that way. And on that note, I'm not going to make any sudden moves. I'm just going to say bye. Thank you. Well, you know what? I've been drinking wine this whole time. So, um, like, I'm not, like, I'm kind of mad about it, but uh, I'll get over it fast. All right. So that was The Midnight Phantom from 1935. And it is unrated, 59 minutes long. And the character, also The Midnight Phantom, that you can find at patreon.com. Slash Italian. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so very much for listening, and thanks, Mike, for doing some of the research and for standing up that character and for just generally being your lovely self. Ah. Thanks for listening to Fifty Date Night Screams. Be sure to check the show notes to learn where you can watch this movie for free. The quality isn't always the best when streaming, so we've also included a link to where you can purchase it. You can also get much more information, including the characters from this and all the 50 Date Night Screams episodes at betrayon.com slash Italian. Until next time, don't stop screaming. 50 Date Night Screams is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by Amber and Mike Tresca. Tresca.